B squared, eyesight, billy photography. Now, you've never heard of any of these companies started by me and my husband, right? Well, that's because we gave Al Capone a run for his money by burying them in the desert for one reason or another. Some failed, some we didn't realize that we actually hated, but it was in this very process that I realized failing doesn't make you a failure. Every company we built but ended up swimming with the fishes was just another lesson in hard knocks of business. And those hard knocks armed us with what we needed to start Quest Nutrition, a company we built and took from not existing to being valued at a billion dollars in just five years. Now, think about that for a second. The same people failed time and time again, only to go on and build one of the largest nutrition companies in the world. Now, neither me or Tom are especially or uniquely gifted. Neither of us scored high in school. As a kid, I was mildly dyslexic and Tom was diagnosed with ADD. So how did we do it? Well, I would love nothing more than to call this episode the three things to do to become successful in a startup. But the truth is, there are so many factors that go into starting a business, let alone being a woman and starting a business. So if you are looking for a quick solution to building your own company, then sadly this show isn't for you. But if you can accept that it's a process, that owning and running your own business comes with both intense satisfaction and sacrifices, that every day you will need to implement tactics and strategies and constantly be learning and discovering, then turn up the volume Lean in because shit's about to get real. First, I'd like to introduce to you the boss babe herself, Natalie Ellis. She, along with her business partner, are the brains behind the mahoosive brand Boss Babe, one of the largest online communities of ambitious women and female entrepreneurs in the world. Growing faster than Hussein Bolt, the brand is currently sitting at a whopping 1.5 million on Instagram with over 12 million Boss Babe hashtags. But it's way more than just a motivational page. It is a support system of sisters who have each other's backs. Outperforming Paula Abdul in a cheerleading competition, Boss Babe grab their pom-poms and cheer, celebrate and encourage women and entrepreneurship, proving that they are more about champion collaboration than competition. Featured in Forbes, Entrepreneur and Business Insider, this Boss Babes mantra, if she can do it, so can I, is a shining example of what it means to be a real boss. Next up, I'd like to introduce to you the wonderful Victoria Young. After a decade of taking on coveted positions at Netflix, Facebook, Uber, Google and Disney, helping to position, launch and scale groundbreaking new products, she decided to venture into entrepreneurship. And like most of us, it was in her spare time as her side hustle. Sick of having packaged breakfast that had junk ingredients, excessive sugar and wasteful packaging, she launched Oatlala, a 100% all-natural, organic, gluten-free and dairy-free plant-based products designed for the modern professional to make eating clean an easy part of a daily routine. Now, you probably haven't heard of this product. That's because recently she ran into manufacturing and co-founder issues and had to shelf it for the time being. This is the reality of starting your own business. Whether you're a millennial with no experience or a veteran in the business world, starting over and going back to the drawing board is real. And she is here today to share that real talk. And lastly, the badass firestarter, Amy Stanton. Starting out as an account manager for an advertising agency and working with brands such as Kodak, Pizza Hut, Lipton and Axe, she quickly realized she wanted to do more. So instead of Netflix and chilling, she put her head down, busted her butt to become the first ever chief marketing officer for Martha Stewart Living Omni Media. 
But like all entrepreneurs at heart, reaching the top of the corporate ladder wasn't as satisfying and fulfilling as expected. So like Bob, she grabbed a hammer and nails and decided to build her own empire. Now founder and CEO of Stanton & Company, a marketing and PR juggernaut of an agency, which primarily focuses on brands built by women. Her belief in the power of philosophy-driven brands has led her to represent an incredible lineup of exceptional female athletes and lifestyle experts in the health and wellness space, as well as being my partner in crime by getting some of those badass women on this very show. So guys, welcome to a very special business edition of Women of Impact. Welcome to the show, ladies. Thank you. All right, so I'm gonna start and kick this off with right from the beginning, starting your own business. And I've got a great quote from you, girl. The number one thing that catches out a lot of women is self-belief and confidence. I think it's one of those things we've never going to completely ama be amazing at, and we always have to keep working on it. But especially in the beginning, business is really slow sometimes. And if you don't have confidence and self-belief in the beginning, you're setting yourself up to fail because not everyone's going to believe in you and not everyone has to. You might join a community that really has your back and supports you. But at the end of the day, when you're an entrepreneur, you're the only one that's responsible for what you're doing and what it, and when it gets hard. You can start doubting yourself. You can get those negative voices in your head and it stops a lot of women from getting from A to B. Ooh. So talk to me about that. Talk to me about believing in yourself. Um, did you have belief in yourself when you first started? No. I mean, when I first started entrepreneurship, I was 13. I had no idea what I was doing. I just knew I had this drive and I wanted to create. And it really came to a point for me when I was just finishing my degree. I did business management and I got offered what looked like the dream corporate job. It was what everyone in my class was like really driving towards. So when I got it, I felt like I should have felt happier than I actually did. And for me, I knew, okay, like if I'm going to start a business, I'm going to get serious. Like I have rent to pay for. I have food to put on the table. Like I need to make this work. So I give myself just 12 months from, okay, this idea, if I can get it off the ground before I go to this job, then perfect. It's, I, I'm all set. And if I don't, I'll go and work for them. And so many people around me were saying, you'd be crazy if you didn't go take this job. You know, it's going to pay off your student debt. Um, it's everything you wanted. You get to move to London. Like, it's going to be amazing. You have to take it. It's such a good opportunity. And um, I, I remember just really having this belief that you, you can do this. You really, really can. And I know if I didn't have that self-belief, I would have went with what people were telling me to do. Mm. And so I really pushed forward. But there were so many times throughout that that I wanted to give up because it, it isn't just like you make the decision and you have the light bulb moment and you go up. Like it's very much a roller coaster. And whether it's, you know, not making money or not being able to cope with the stress, like having to pull late nights, whatever it is, there are so many times that you want to give up and you have to believe in yourself and that what you're doing is important. But I I won't say I'm the most confident person in the world. I have weeks where I'm like, oh my God, I'm killing it. I'm amazing. I'm such a boss babe. And then <laughs> I have weeks where I'm just like, when I don't look after myself and I haven't had sleep and I'm not eating well, uh, that's when my other things come up and I don't feel confident and I don't feel myself. But when I'm in those weeks where like, take my supplements, I'm sleeping, <laughs> I'm doing yoga, I feel really unstoppable. So all of that makes a difference to how yeah. you see yourself. Yeah, and, it, and really like, sometimes when I feel like at my least confident, I've made the most money. Mm. And it's crazy because you can, your, your subconscious mind can be funny. Like if it wants to tell you that it doesn't believe in you, it'll be like, well, that money was a fluke. 
looking or right. like it'll always have but it, I think really just the foundations are, are looking after yourself and like being in a good mental frame of mind and physically feeling good then you know you can drown out that voice being like listen it's not a fluke I'm really good at what I do and like <laughs> speak to it that way yeah but so you've always believed from a very young age that you were born entrepreneur I on the other hand I could the complete opposite I never saw myself as being an entrepreneur I think that you've got two types you're either born or you're made I feel like I'm a made entrepreneur um, and so I never had that conviction personally on that like okay if you start a business because that was that was a deep passion when it was never like that for me um, what about you Amy did you um, do you feel like you're a born entrepreneur or a made entrepreneur and then how do you deal with um, that belief system in yourself when maybe you have other people telling you it's not possible well I came from a family of entrepreneurs Okay. So you, we've all heard the seeing the saying, if you can see it, you believe it. Mm-hmm. So I had incredible role models, my grandfather, my uncle, both of my parents. And so I think I felt it was in my blood, honestly, okay. and that if I wasn't an entrepreneur, that would be surprising. So yes, I worked mm-hmm. in advertising and then I ran the marketing and PR for New York's Olympic bid, which is when I first started working with athletes. Right. And then I was at Martha Stewart. And in each of those experiences, I had a very entrepreneurial experience. Even in the context of working for a big company, you can still function as an entrepreneur. You can still approach things mm-hmm. in an entrepreneurial way. And I think I always did. And whether that was me wanting to get as much experience as possible so that someday when I started my business, I could really kill it. But I knew I wanted to have some control over my own destiny and I wanted to feel like I could pursue these different ideas that I was experiencing constantly. Like I, I'm just, I feel like I literally sit around birthing ideas left and right. And sometimes my challenge is just to figure out how to move forward and get one thing done. And so the good news is about my business mm-hmm. as a P- PR agency, mostly, we're constantly changing and evolving. The landscape's changing and evolving so much. So I get to feel like I'm reinventing on a constant basis, which is now I know one of the things that really motivates me. So I think if you're an entrepreneur, you need to learn to love that because whether you're solely focused on one thing and doing it well, or whether you have a dozen clients the way we do and you're constantly thinking about how to solve each of their different problems, you're still always going to have things coming at you that you never anticipated or ever wanted <laughs> every right. day. And that I think that defines entrepreneurship. So even just sometimes feeling like I have access to new ideas and new approaches is what I need to get out of my own head because that's really all it is. The insecurity is just about being in our own head. The self-doubt is just about allowing the bad voice to overcome the good voice. It's not like anything real has changed on those days, you know. I feel like one of the big things with entrepreneurship in general is sometimes you're faced with this crossroads where it seems like everything is going wrong at exactly the same time and it must be a sign from the universe that you need to do something else. It's time to just close it off, you know, like let's try something new. And you have a choice at those moments. You can either go, yeah, this is a total disaster and I think it's time for something new. I'm sick of it. I don't want to deal with this anymore. The signs are very clear. Or you can dig deep and go, you know what? Thank you. I see all these challenges and I'm totally equipped to handle them. And I'm personally committed to fixing these problems. It's about recommitting Mm -hmm. constantly. So the minute you recommit and you start taking some of the steps to sort out the bazillion challenges ahead, 
then the, the flow state returns. Yeah. Um, whether you're recommitting or just the initial commitment, how do you know whether it's the right thing or how do you guys make that decision? Um, because there are some moments, like I mentioned in the intro, there are businesses I've started that I knew I either hated or this isn't working and you have to pivot. So how do you know or what do you guys do to assess whether this is a pivot moment or this is, okay, I'm all in, I need to lean in, I need to learn from my mistakes, I need to get better because I just failed so I need to improve or walk away. And this is actually a great question for you because I know recently you started your brand um, which was amazing and you've had problems. So how are you assessing right now in real time whether you go back to it, you get you know, a different manufacturer, you get a different partner, or do you just say, no, I'm gonna shelf it and I'm gonna start something else? I think that's one of the biggest challenges that I've been facing actually, because you know I also have just so many different ideas that come up and there's so many areas of interest of things I wanna pursue and work on and it's more, is this the right project for me uniquely to deliver to this world at this time. And that's something I have to ask myself and really think through because you know there is there is that doubt and it's like dis distinguishing between is this the voice of fear or is this the voice and direction of intuition and mm. like alignment, right? And I have to dig deep and, and ask myself that and be really honest with myself because I think it's so easy to rationalize and to justify and, and logically come to whatever conclusion you want to come to. But when you're being really true with yourself, it's like, is this the thing that really isn't full alignment with my purpose, my interests, my skill set? And is this something that I really could do, you know, in the worst of times? Um, as well, and if that if those answers I think aren't all yes, then it's going to be very challenging to keep pursuing that business, you know. And there's a lot of daily doubts and back and forths that I have with myself. And I think part of it too is just allowing yourself the space to do that and not judging yourself. I think, especially for high achievers and people who just are very goal oriented, it's like if I'm not doing, if I'm not executing on my giant list of things and hitting these milestones, which literally was my job in these big companies, was to drive an entire team forward towards these things. And I hold that standard for myself. So when I'm working on my own projects, I'm like, if I'm not achieving X, Y, Z at this time frame, at this rate and delivering at this quality, then I that negative voice starts spinning up and I have to find a way to, you know, manage that and make it be productive versus destructive. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that's a challenge. It's a daily challenge for sure. Yeah, um, I actually heard something that you said, Natalie, where you were, um, you said you now set goals and then you double them. Mm -hmm. um, talk to me, because I find that fascinating, because there's um, two schools of thoughts that I find in business, where some people, whether you're starting out or you're halfway through your company and you're just trying to build, it's setting goals, setting those um, m markers. And I don't like people setting goals, especially myself, so that I can reach them. Right? I do like to stretch, but some people say if you go too far, it's almost too grand and it disincentivizes you and then your team. Um, talk to me about setting those goals and how you handle them. Yeah, so it first came about a couple of years ago when I was setting a launch goal for myself and I was sitting across the dinner from dinner table from Steve and my husband and I was like, this is my goal. And he was like, hmm, double it. I'm like, <laughs> what? Double it? Like, that's, that's crazy. And he's like, well, what if you just tried? Like... I think you can achieve this and I think you can do a lot more than you think you can. Just double it, just try. If, if it doesn't work, like we'll never go with this theory ever again. I'm like, fine, challenge accepted, <laughs> I can do this. And so I hit the goal and I don't think I would have hit it had I not doubled it because I think when I hit that goal midway through the launch, I would have just gone, ah, 
done. And I would have sat back and I think that's what I'd done previously because sometimes what I think you do when you set a goal is you do the things you know work, you rinse, repeat, especially when you've been in the same business for a while, you rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, it works, it works. But then if someone says double your goal, you're like, hmm, well, I'm gonna have to do something very differently to I normally would. So what if I created a strategy where I rinse and repeat, but I also layer this on top or I try this and it's either gonna be a big success, I'm gonna hit the goal or it's gonna be a big failure and I won't. Yeah. That was so cool. Um, So when you started your company, Amy, how did you um, set up what that future looked like for? Or did you? And also, did you do it when you were still at your nine-to-five, quote-unquote, job? Mm. Because the one thing that I get asked all the time is, should I leave my current job? Should I take this chance? Um, I've only given myself a year, like you said, Nat. Um, Did you do any of that? And then, if so, how did you maneuver through it? Well, I've realized, for better or worse, I'm the type of person where a lot of stuff is happening here long before it happens in reality. And when I first was starting the business, I said, I want to build an agency focused on female athletes and women's sports because I feel like it's an undertapped area. This was 13 years ago. No one's focused on that space. There's a shortage of great female role models. We all need to be out there making a change. And I envisioned building a mini IMG where we'd have the representation, marketing consulting, PR, content development, events, everything under one roof with synergies between all these areas. And everyone said, Amy, you're crazy. There's no money in women's sports. And by the way, they're right. I actually think it's good that I was as naive as I was because I wouldn't have done it. And But if anything, it made me want to do it more because the more people who said that's crazy, the more I said, well, that's sure, no one's doing it. And I'm confident there's some germ of something there. And even when I started the business, I had this kind of loose vision in my mind of how it would unfold, but it unfolded in a completely different fashion from what I imagined. So, of course, the representation stuff took off and I was horrified because I grew up in Los Angeles thinking the word agent was a bad word. And suddenly I was a sports agent. And even when I went to one of my high school reunions, people were literally astounded. They're like, you're working in sports and you're a sports agent. But... The first two years, I got deep in this representation space and suddenly, and I knew that wasn't where it was going to go in the end. And this whole health and wellness world, which is in some ways even more aligned with me personally, was exploding here. Mm. And so suddenly we started working with an organic snack bar and a vegan beauty brand and an eco water bottle and all these things that enabled me to sort of see the world differently, that, that actually this women's sports piece of it was actually one, one thread of this much bigger opportunity. And I think that's a big part of starting a business is seeing where the movement is. And if it weren't for that piece of it, I could certainly not be doing what I'm doing now. And, and I think we're still just in this emerging, who knows where it's going to go place, which is the exciting part, you know? And I think that's, I'm wired like that for better or worse. Yeah. <laughs> one thing I've actually noticed in researching you guys and sitting here with you is and meeting other female entrepreneurs or just entrepreneurs in general, it really kind of stems from what is a passion of yours? Like Mm. what is that thing that you actually enjoy or what would you use, right? So for you, it's like you saw that there was no product out there that you could do on the go. Same with Quest. Mm -hmm. It was like we were working out. My husband was going to work every day and he didn't really have anything to eat. He was like the the protein bars on the market were disgusting Mm. or they were full of sugar. Um, It seems like it's so important that that's where people should start. Instead of chasing 
the money or um, something they think they should. Like starting from the ground of what is the thing that I really love and then how can I make a business out of it? What do you guys think about that and how does that reflect on what you guys did? I would absolutely agree with that, going through that so much myself. And it's funny because you hear that advice and you read it in the books and you see it everywhere and you're like, yeah, yeah, I get it. But when it when push comes to shove, that I think is when that deep inner drive and that deep inner alignment comes through to get you through that, that phase. Because there have been studies where they see that people who are financially motivated or given a financial incentive actually can't perform for as long a period of time or as well as people who are intrinsically motivated over something. And that's actually the true core of success is you really have to find that deep, deep sense of why and and stay connected to it because it is so challenging. And, um, you know, like any, and there's challenges in every part of your life, right? Whether you're in corporate or in an, as an entrepreneur, but in corporate, you're kind of, you're pushed through with you know your team and just the the structure that you're in. You're in the system, and it keeps propelling you forward because you get that paycheck because it's there for you. As an entrepreneur, when you don't have any system, you need something besides that promise of maybe there being a financial success for you waiting at the end of the tunnel. There needs to be something deeper than that. Mm-hmm. Talking about the financial side of it, do you like have a nest egg that you build up over you know a year or two years to then start your venture? Like, there's such a debate now of like, should I just quit my job and go for that you know start my own business or should I stick this out for a year or two and do it as a side hustle what do you guys think about that I don't think there's one right answer honestly I mean I my business was a low overhead business it was also a low money coming in the door business (laughs) (laughs) but but definitely didn't require me going out and hiring a bunch of people or having a ton of equipment or investing in a major manufacturing effort. So it was sort of, I could start a business like that tomorrow, you know, Mm -hmm. and not, and I wouldn't need anything other than this, you know, and it requires a lot of faith in yourself, a lot of confidence and a lot of resilience and persistence and sleepless nights <laughs> and we could go on and on. But I, I don't think there's one model, you know, mm-hmm. I think, and, and I think a lot of it has to do with mentality too. I mean, some people l- are more comfortable feeling there's like, there's a safety net. In some ways it's like really understanding your tolerance and your thresholds and, and what motivates you and how, how you're going to thrive, you know? And I, I started my business with a business partner and in the beginning, I liked that we actually were so similar, that we had similar skill sets, we understood each other, we had a similar vision. And in the end, I think the fact that we had such similar skill sets was not a win because we were redundant. And then this comparison begins and then suddenly you don't necessarily even respect the work that your business partner is doing because you're so focused on like, I feel like I'm doing it all myself. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, how many of us have gotten into that mode? But for some people, the business partner is a great option. In the beginning, you know, you really, those are the kinds of decisions you need to make. Do you want to raise money? Do you want a business partner? Do you want to, like, what, how do you envision this in the context of not only this thing you're trying to create, but your lifestyle, Mm -hmm. you know? And so that comes back to the question, like, how much money do you need to do it? You know, do you need to have a big cushion? How long is this going to go on for before you start making any money? Yeah. 
So what about you next? I know you have a business partner. Um, did you assess whether you should or not? And what if someone's listening right now and they're in that situation where they're like, I don't know if I should get one. What advice would you give them for them to look out for? Yeah, I didn't have one um, and I was just doing everything myself and then I met her at a Brendan Burchard conference. Did you really? Yeah, yeah. Um, and as soon as we met, it was that feeling of, hmm, I think I'm going to do something with this person. Mm. I think this person's going to be in my life. Um, like I'm a big believer in like good feelings and um, we made the decision that she would invest in the business and we were going to do it together. And for me, the reason was, Uh, one thing that I hated the most about entrepreneurship was how lonely it was. Mm. I really, really felt that it was super lonely and there weren't tons of people around me that, that got it. And I'm the kind of person that loves the sounding board. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's it works so, so well for us. And we I was CEO and she was COO and we made the decision um, a few months ago that she would come on board as co-CEO and we've been really trying that out and seeing what it looks like. And I know that can be really difficult for a lot of people, but for us, it's been absolutely incredible. And I think it's because we have such opposite skill sets. I was going to ask, do you guys balance each other yeah, out? Yeah, we are so different in yeah. so many ways. But we make a big point of going on retreats, just the two of us. And we do big like vision boards of what we want our lives to look like. And like really, it's kind of like a marriage, like sharing our core values, sharing our non-negotiables, those kind of things so that we can be so on the same page. And like being open to say like, I want this and this is what it's going to take for me to feel good in this partnership and, and getting so clear on that and then getting clear on rules and responsibilities. But it's definitely not something to go into lightly. So it's almost like having the same or similar vision, but having different skill sets in order to execute on that. Yeah, I think so. I think definitely like that your vision for the company has to be the same because with Boss Babe, we're always being approached by investors and that in itself is a whole different decision. Like that's a whole different company. That's a whole different lifestyle. Or when it comes to making cash flow decisions, do we decide to take really good salaries or do we reinvest everything? Like all of those big decisions that generally a founder would decide we have to decide together so that's one piece of it and then I think the opposite skill sets really really helps because otherwise you'd have two people like you were saying in the business doing the exact same thing and at some point there's not going to be space for both of you um, and we are completely different and she manages a whole different side of the business to what I do but because we're both co-founders like there's so much trust between us we know each other's skill sets I don't even think to question what she does and, and same with me and we just keep in constant communication um, and it works for us really really well wow co-ceo that's so interesting when i read that as well i was like because i actually recently just did a post where it was like you wouldn't have two ceos yeah. for a company <laughs> and i was like relating it to a to a relationship a romantic relationship yeah. and when i read that i was like oh my because i love to learn and grow and like if i'm wrong great now i'm better for it yeah um, and so when i read that i was like oh my god i gotta ask you about it because tom and i my business partner we specifically said that he's the ceo and i'm the president and the reason being is we have the same vision of what we're trying to achieve and in order for us to get there we can't have roadblocks and what happens if we disagree it's a roadblock okay well if we've both got the same goal but we're both the ones that are creating um, the friction so we can't get to that goal, that doesn't work. That's not a successful business. So if we ever come to a head and we try and convince and we pitch each other why we're right and neither of us can convince the other person, what do we do? Because coming to a standstill doesn't serve our goals. And so we basically collectively said, okay, he gets final say. So even if I am opposed to what he is saying and I'm like, that's crazy, we shouldn't do it, and he disagrees, 
we have to move on. And so he makes the decision. We've agreed that beforehand, so I'm not emotional about it because I'm like, okay, Lisa, even though you hate it right now and you know that he's making a mistake, you've, you've already told yourself that that's what you're going to do. Have you come up with any of those rules or anything? Yeah, so um, Danielle has final say on a certain like pillar of the business okay. and I have final say on the other. Um, so we'll always... There's decisions I'll make without her and decisions she'll make without me, but if they're big decisions, we'll chat about it. But ultimately, if it revolves around one side of the business, it's my final decision and likewise for her. And um, we have that respect for each other to be like, okay, I support, go do it. And I I think the biggest thing about being co-CEOs is even if you two find the dynamic easy, you can never make it difficult for your team. And so that's where we've invested a lot of energy into saying to our team, our leadership team, you don't have two bosses, you have one boss and you know exactly who it is. You, if, if the other person comes in and suggests something to you or says yes or no, if they are not the ones managing you, you take it with a grain of salt, you don't have to listen to it you don't have to implement it you think of them as another person on the team but if you want a final sign off like you know who to go to mm-hmm. um and i think that's the key thing because i think being co-ceos can be confusing for a team if you're not very clear on that so our team is like literally like it's written so specifically what you would go to danielle for what you would go to me for and and even if we disagree we'll never let the team know we disagree interesting yeah. i do the opposite oh you do <laughs> so tom and i have a very open policy and yeah. if we disagree with each other we want people to see how we work through it okay because we want people to know it's actually okay to disagree with the ceo or with the president of the company and this is how we work through it but I want to go back to something you had said actually earlier about being resilient. So this is a subject that I hear and read a lot about. You get one camp that's like, if you're doing a startup, you've got to go all in, you've got to grind, you've got to be gritty. And in hindsight, looking at myself, that's actually what got me really sick. Um, it was the stress and the way of just the world and just wearing myself thin, no self-care whatsoever. Um, But I don't know if I'd be successful if I didn't do that grind and grittiness and become resilient when things happen. So um, I know you've had health issues as well. So I'd love to hear from all of you guys about what your take is on being resilient when starting a company and building a company and what you would advise someone now in hindsight. I just think entrepreneurship is all about resilience. And that means so many different things. That doesn't mean killing yourself. (laughs) That means sometimes the opposite of that it means be giving yourself the space so that you can recharge and actually come back. But it is ultimately the resilience is more of a mental one of not giving up and kind of knowing that you're capable and, and not and being able to drown out the voice, the bad voice and being able to kind of give yourself the pep talk. You also have tons of people around you, whether they're your business partners or not, that can help give you that recharge, mm. you know? And, and sometimes it's as simple as, I'm dealing with this major issue, I don't even know how to do it, I'm not an expert in this, I've never faced this before. And instead of sitting with it and belaboring it and obsessing over it, which I have a lot of experience with, <laughs> it's uh, often about going, wait, this person I know actually has been through this, why don't I just pick up the phone? And it's amazing how quickly that can solve problems, mm. you know? So it's kind of like, I think the resilience is often about really understanding your resources. And it's amazing how sometimes when you like let the other people in, it actually makes all of us so much stronger. And mm-hmm. I definitely had this belief system for a long time. 
as you're aware, that I needed to operate as like a machine. You know, I had to show up as like, uh, to thrive in a man's world, I needed to be tough, be assertive, be direct, all those things I am, and they're great. You know, they're super effective and important part of the repertoire. But then what I've also realized is by allowing the emotionality and the sensitivity and, and some of these feminine qualities to come through, I'm so much more complete and I'm so much more powerful mm. and I'm so much more connected to everyone. And, and so in so many ways, that's the ultimate resilience. Mm. We have it all right here. We just need to figure out how to tap into it. That's oftentimes. Great answer. I love that. What about you, Nat? So right, like when I started having health issues last year, really encouraged me to slow down and I got to take a lot more time out of work than I pretty much ever had and I've really become a big advocate for harmony in a sense of I don't believe balance exists but one one week you might be so all in with your business that you know you can't spend as much time with your friends or your family as you want to and you have to be okay with that but then other weeks you know you're all in with your health and so you're spending less time at work or all of these different things, like there's always gonna be something that's taking priority. Not everything can be a priority all at once. Mm-hmm. And I really learned that. But when it comes to like that grit and like getting really in it, I mean, I did that. And I feel like I probably wouldn't have been able to then sit back and take so much time off when I was dealing with health stuff if I hadn't have hustled the way I did. Mm-hmm. But now that I've been able to take time off and really leverage team and, um, like really be more effective when I am at work so that I can spend a lot more time not at work. I've become a bit of an advocate for not working weekends, like not working evenings and really having that balance. And it's something I really try to employ. But if there's times where I'm going through a launch or a busy period, I really will. But I I tend not to work Saturdays and Sundays. I tend not to work after 7 p.m. Like I, I get really strict about that. I don't have Slack on my phone anymore. And so I am like constantly looking for another boundary I can add in as long as it's not affecting, you know, the bottom line or it's not affecting my productivity or anything. Mm-hmm. But I'm also just not afraid to put in the work when it's needed and be willing to just be the biggest introvert ever for a week to get mm-hmm. a project done and get it over the line. And like, I think it's such a balance. And that's what I was going to say. Like, would you do, would you still come home at six and take the weekends off if you were st- still starting, if you were just starting out? I, I don't think I would, honestly. Like, I, I don't think I could have created this without doing that. Right. And that's um, really yeah. the question, right? Is that... Yeah. A lot of people are like, no, you need balance. But I think if I could really get deep inside me right now, it's like the truth is, is that I don't think I would be as successful if I hadn't done it. Yeah. So I don't know, even with my health situation the way it is, like I don't know if I would go back and change anything. Mm-hmm. So I, th- and I think people at home, you know, I'm, th- I'm thinking like if I'm in their position, that's probably one thing that they're asking is like, how all in do I have to go? And I think the truth is my answer is you pro- you have to go all in, at least for the first few years to lay that foundation so that like you said, you can stop and take a step back and then take that time off. Um, how are you feeling right now with, um, you know, stepping back from um, your company and then like wanting to start that new venture? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, it's really personal. I think it depends on, you know, your personal boundaries, what you and your body need and what makes you most effective. I, I personally just like, I know I need eight eight hours of sleep to perform well, to think clearly, to, you know, have my stress be at a manageable level, because I know that when I don't take care of myself, I make bad decisions. You know, my judgment isn't as good. I'm 
less kind to everyone else and those things ultimately you know make I feel like make my work output and my business less productive so I have always sort of adhered to this regimen of self-care and like a more slow and steady pace but you know I I do think that you know if there was a need to you know put the pedal to the metal for a short amount of time it's probably beneficial to do that within whatever you're comfortable with. Mm. And I do think that like mental health and emotional health and all of that is really, really important. And I've seen, you know, friends of mine, whether it's in corporate or as entrepreneurs, have a lot of challenges in that space. And I think at some point, you know, you have to ask yourself like, what am I really, like what is really worth it? And, you know, am I also taking care of myself so that I can do a better job longer term? Mm. How often do you guys assess your output and then how your personal life, because, you know, going back, I'm so with you, Nat. Like, I don't seek balance. Um, I seek harmony mm. um, because I, I don't look at my life and say, okay, how many hours am I spending at home and how many hours am I spending at work? But I do look at my output. But now that I'm older, I start assessing, like, okay, you know yourself well enough. You know that you're not at, going at the same speed. You need to refuel, so you need to take rest. Um, it's still quite hard for me to actually then do it because I've got these two parts of my personality that I want to be the best of the best. So every time I slow down, I worry, am I hindering being the best of the best? Mm. But I have to go back to what you said, Victoria, is like I have to assess my output and go, okay, well, I'm not never going to be the best at this rate if I'm slowing down, I'm lethargic, I'm foggy, things like that. It's so hard, really. And I do think over time people are able to strike more of a balance. I don't, yeah, I'm with everyone. I don't believe in work-life balance. We're, I'm past that. I'm more aware of how I'm feeling and my energy. And, and you mentioned it, like I'm kinder to people mm -hmm. when I'm more balanced. I'm more patient. You know, did I have time to meditate today? And how, to, how, how am I behaving and feeling in my body, you know? And it doesn't, like sometimes I'm completely exhausted and it is what it is, you know, onward. Mm. I'm gonna go to take a dance class, even if I'm totally exhausted, because I actually think that's gonna like turn my brain off and it's gonna get me back on track. And in some ways that's more important than the rest of it, but, but it doesn't, not at the expense of the output. Mm. I don't get to go, oh, it's cool that I didn't get 100 things done today because they have to be done. So, you know, so I feel like in a way, it's a lot about trying to find this kind of, I love the word harmony, but finding this kind of ongoing way of getting the work done as needed and thriving and achieving and being the best and then also feeling great. I love that. Mm -hmm. I'm different in a sense of I don't look at my phone on a Saturday or Sunday. It's, I pretty much don't even look at my laptop. But when it comes to assessing performance, I am so like specific about how mm -hmm. I do it. Like every day, every week. So like every single day, I'm like, these are the top three things that I'm going to get done. And these three things have to move the needle in something. And like, I write that at the beginning of the day and like, I commit to doing that. And then on a Friday, I do a review. Like, how did I perform? What did I get done? What did I really move the needle in? Okay, great. Now self-wise, like, did I like spend time with friends? What did my diet look like? How am I feeling health-wise? Mm -hmm. Then on a Sunday, I'm like full, like, okay, like, let's assess my performance. Okay, what do I want to achieve going in the next week? And I'm, like, so specific about it. But I think that's just my personality that makes... Like, if I go too much with the flow, I don't feel in flow. Like, mm. for me, flow oh. comes from being, like, specific, specific, specific. Mm. I don't get overwhelmed, really, by seeing, like, oh, I have all this, like, a shit ton of stuff to get done today. I'm, like, great, on it. I just need that direction. Mm. 
And so it's like what you were saying, it's all personal and like mm. finding out, okay, what is it that really gets you in flow state? Is it having your goals? Is it like a specific diet? Is it like your environment? Like what is it that gets you in flow and how can you tap into that every single day? Because as entrepreneurs, time is money. Like we can't afford to just piss about for three hours in the morning and then start getting work done. But for real, like it has to be productive. So what is it going to take to get you in flow quicker and then do more of that? And then you do have more time for family, friends, workouts, like all of that stuff while still killing it at work. Is that why you find it's easy to then switch off your phone on the weekends and yeah. the evenings because you're so focused in the hours that you're on? Yeah, like when I'm at work, like I am so focused. I don't, I just don't look at other things that take me off. Like, and I, and once I get those three things done, if I get them done by three o'clock, I'm like, wonderful. If there's anything I'll tie up, I'll go and do it but this is my time now overtakes me till seven fine I want to get them done but once it's done it's done and I focus on getting that done because I know if I spend time like watching my inbox dun, 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 or my text <laughs> like <laughs> I'm gonna be like I'm gonna be looking at these three things come 6 p.m and so focusing on that first knowing if I get that done and I move the needle then I've got time to look at inbox and all these other things that come in and that and and that and then also just like assessing opportunities all the time like some opportunities come through that you think are good but you're like you have to really assess them and be like is this going to move the needle for me is this exactly what I'm driving towards is it going to help me achieve my goals this month this quarter if no then turning them down so you can stay focused because sometimes there's so many things going on as entrepreneurs you're like ah oh, let me follow that shiny thing and right. <clears throat> true. so do you down. think that all comes then so let's say people at home right now are thinking that right like I've got all these things and oh my god these opportunities and I don't know which one and I want to take them all a you can't take them all on because you're never going to do everything amazingly well but then b how do you assess which is the right one to go like which path to go down do you have any tips there so one approach that actually I use from my tech world that we use when we decide like what features to build next mm -hmm. so like for example if you're building you know the next video interface for Facebook live like do you want to add a like button here or a you know share button there like those kinds of decisions there's actually a framework around that which is like what's the ex expected impact what's the level of effort and what's the timeline and feasibility of actually doing it mm -hmm. so I kind of apply that framework to a lot of my other areas of life as well like is this really in alignment is this doable within a certain time frame like what's the expected impact and what do I really get out of it and is this in alignment with the overall goal for what I'm trying to achieve so I think using a framework to help you rank and prioritize keeps you disciplined because you know you can get really easily distracted by a shiny object and I find myself doing that a lot as well and so it's going back to you know your guiding principles and your goal is really important and just staying in alignment with the framework. Do you ever find that those two, um, that you find a couple of things are like almost identical and they all have like, okay, they create impact and the timeline's roughly the mm. same. What do you do in those situations? Then you gotta go with your gut, okay. right? Like at that point, if everything on paper, if everything, you know, that rationally seems the same, then you kind of go with your, gotta go with your gut feeling. Yeah. Well, the one thing I definitely want to bring up with you guys is sacrifice. So there's, again, debate on like how much should you sacrifice for your business? Um, have you guys, well, in fact, I know you guys have all sacrificed guaranteed. Um, if so, how did you make those decisions to do the sacrifice? And um, have you had any regrets? I think we're similar in a sense of I moved to an entirely different country to follow my dream and that meant leaving every single member of my family behind in the UK and I don't really see them very often. I'm not like a, a part of 
their daily lives like I don't get to watch my little brothers and sisters grow up mm. um and that was a really big decision but one that I knew that deep down like this is where I want to be this is the lifestyle I want to create this is the the reality that I want for myself and that was probably the biggest sacrifice that I've ever had to make I wouldn't say I regret it but there's definitely times when I think well what if what would it look like if I had stayed back and I didn't follow my dreams but I was surrounded by my family I, I think I wouldn't have been as happy. I think for, for me, mm. what I'm doing lights me up so much and fulfills me so much that um, I get to feel good about that. And my family are really understanding. I'm really lucky that I have like a pretty laid back family. Um, that being said, I the relationship with my dad really dissolved when that happened. He did not like that. Like mm. um, So that definitely came at a price. But at the same time, that was going to happen whether I made the sacrifice or whether I didn't. It's not just about the decisions you make to follow your your own path. So being okay with that and just like checking in, you know, on, on the phone and having them come out and visit as much as possible or going back uh, when you can. But it's definitely a big sacrifice. Mm-hmm. How about you, Amy? I feel like I'm going to sound like Pollyanna again. So I'm warning you in advance. Um, I, I definitely think that I have made sacrifices. I mean, there are many times, and my mother definitely thinks that the reason I'm still single without children is because I've been a workaholic my whole life. Do you agree with that? You know, I think that that has been my priority, but it's also been where I've found so much satisfaction and ease, mm-hmm. honestly. So I prefer not to think about it as that I've sacrificed that. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly... I've prioritized my work and that's been a conscious choice and sure could I have had more fun or spent invested more time in my dating life or I don't know all those things probably but but I don't I really don't perceive them as a sacrifice because what I've gained this business that I run is such a direct extension of me. It brings me so much joy. And so not all the time, by the way, please. (laughs) Many times a day, it makes me insane. But I definitely feel like it's such a gift and it's a choice. And honestly, if there's one thing that I feel like is the most useful mechanism for getting things back on track is to remember that we are constantly choosing everything. Everything is a choice. And those are things that I think sometimes you get so caught up in the hamster wheel where you're like, I, and, or, you know, the pressure of, I have this overhead now, I have these employees now, I have these clients that rely on me. You know what? Don't forget, I could literally tomorrow make a completely different decision. I can make a completely different choice. And sometimes by just reminding yourself of that, it's extremely liberating. And you don't perceive it suddenly as sacrifice. You, rem- you remember like this was deliberate. This was my choice. I made this choice over another one. And that's that's empowering. Mm. That's interesting. It never even dawned on me that using the word sacrifice would put a certain connotation to what you're choosing not to do. Um, what do you guys think is one key thing? And I know I said at the beginning, you can't have like just one key thing. I know it's, <laughs> it, there's like a million things that go with it. But if you had to pinpoint one thing that for you, that you have embodied a superpower, let's say, of um, that has gotten you the mindset and the, um, the outcome, what would you say it was? I think it's all about intuition. I feel like my foresight and my ability to understand what's happening in a room or what's about to happen with a situation or how to preempt a problem or 
what the right course of action is all comes from my gut now. Mm. And and I do obviously value the <laughs> the data and the other information, but one thing I do as often as possible is really encourage my employees to go there. So they'll come running into my office. What's the right answer for this? I will throw it back and say, what does your intuition tell you? What is it, what's in your gut? And nine times out of 10, maybe even more than that, theirs is exactly what mine was. So it's a more connected way of living. And I'm totally inspired to go start making more lists and being <laughs> a lot more organized. But if you combine that with the gut, it's a winning combo. That's so true. I love that. you, Nat? I think I have two. Um, so I think the first one is determination. I just, I'm so determined. Like when I set my mind some, to something, it's happening. Um, I've really always been that way. And the second thing is collaboration. I really believe like the success of Boss Babe has come from being willing to collaborate and um, not being afraid to like put other people on pedestals if it's meant you're standing in the shadows. And um, I think that's so powerful. We, you know, work with so many businesses that might be considered competition and more power to them like I I think it's incredible when you're really going after a mission if you truly embody it and believe it then you'll be willing to do it otherwise it's not about the mission it's about your business achieving the mission Um, so I think those two things Mm, amazing about you Victoria Um, I would say connection for me I think that is something that helps fuel me is is connecting with other people connecting with ideas and really being open and receptive to that and that really drives me forward and helps me like I think back on every opportunity I've had and that's come through a connection of some sort right through a relationship through uh, you know a mutual understanding or a mutual uh, vision something that you know I cared about and someone else also had that same feeling and so I always you know when people ask me for advice about like how to navigate their careers or find build their business it's always like you know the more you can connect with other people who have similar interests, the more likely you are able to find something that will work out in some way or spark some new idea. And so for me, it's always, you know, who can I connect with that is uh, genuinely like part of what my vision is and what I really care about. I love that. And where can everyone find you guys online? So let's start with you, Victoria. Um, Yeah, I mean, you can find me on my website, victoria-young.com. Nice, awesome. You guys? You can find me on Instagram at IamNatalie or at BossWave.inc or at BossWave.com. Awesome. My handle's Amy K. Stanton everywhere and our company website is Stanton-Company.com. All right, guys, guys, I don't care where you are in the entrepreneurship business world. If you're just doing a startup and you're a millennial or you're in your 80s and you're like, hey, I want to start my own business. Like it is possible. Listen to these ladies. Everyone struggles. You have failures. You have successes. It's all part of the journey. So go start the journey. And until next time, guys, be the hero of your own life. Peace out. Oh, and subscribe. Click that subscribe button right there. Subscribe.